Well, often, or from time to time, you might have someone come up to you and say, well, I have some bad news and I have some good news. Which one do you want to hear first? And I think for most of us, um, we'd probably say, well, go ahead, give me the bad news, because you want to get hit with that bad news before you get good news. But it seems like we're in, in a time and space in history where there's just, we're inundated by bad news, where there's such that um, we, we get news just flooding into us and information like never before. And it just continues to increase of ways that information is coming in um, to us. Our phones, they alert us of bad news all the time. If you have a news app and it tells you um, new things that are coming through. And then from the person on the street whose social media could just post from around the world just bad news and things that are happening that we're, we're just fatigued. They even call it news fatigue that we have because it's just so much that we're just like, I just can't even take it anymore. And you almost become callous to it. I came across a, a study from the Pew Research. It was from, it came out in 2020 in February, but it was taken in 2019. So I'm sure those numbers probably are even greater, but it, the study said that two-thirds of Americans, so six, about 66%, feel worn out by the amount of news that there is. Well, just 32% said that the amount of news they are getting, that they're, they're pleased with the amount of news that they're getting. And so there's, there's just a, an understanding that we just get too much. And even said that those who are in journalism, they feel the same way. It said this feeling of news fatigue hasn't escaped journalists either, some of whom have voiced their exhaustion with the news cycle and seemingly endless stream of information. Uh, we feel that, that endless stream. And and here, unfortunately, today we, we dive in and we hear some, some bad news. But it's not bad news that terminates in bad news. I think sometimes our news that we get um, that comes at us is just, it's bad in period. <laughs> Sin, things are bad. But that's not the way that God works. And even in our suffering and our trials, it doesn't, again, it doesn't terminate with the sorrow. The Lord is doing something. And here we have some bad news uh, but it, it flows into good news. And sometimes, and we're going to talk about this a little bit at the end, but bad news, uh, at times, it could be this warning. Like if you go to a doctor and they say that there is bad news, it's not good. But if they never told you that there's some bad news, there might not ever be hope of healing, too. And we need to hear this, that our hearts might even be woken up by this. So we're going to begin today, and I thought I was going to do this whole passage and. And it's actually one sentence. Again, Paul takes this one sentence and he packs all these things in. And I realized that I was with, I would have about 10 minutes left to do the good news. So I was like, well, we'll just do a bunch of bad news today. So that's what we're doing. Um, but it shifts from the state of our heart apart from Christ to the grace of God next week, the good news. But we need to hear this bad news. So the news, it begins. And it says... And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul just begins and he says, what is our existence before Christ? What is the reality of who we are? And he says, dead. And you think, well, did he mean dead, dead? Yeah, he, he means dead, dead. This is a word that means corpse or dead body. And Paul, of course, he's speaking spiritually. That spiritually, apart from Christ, we are those who, who are dead. Not breathing, walking dead, spiritually dead, Apart from God, not, not inclined to go toward God in any way. We're dead, dead to the things of the gospel. It's a bit like 
if our, our heart were to stop and an EMT were to come and, and bring a defibrillator, and we actually have one in the back and had an EMT tell me how it works and you get it going and it like tells you everything. But you couldn't take that, that defibrillator and put it next to the person whose heart has start, stopped and said, okay, it's telling you what to do. You should do it. No, they're not going to, that person's not going to grab the paddles and use it on themselves because they're, they're in the midst of, of dying. Um, and this is the state, he's saying, he's saying, we're dead. We're not inclined to the Lord. Separated. Separated by what? Well, trespasses and sins. Trespasses that, that false step or a falling by the wayside. It's been defined before. This trespasses is deviating from God's path, kind of doing it on our own. And then sin, missing the mark, missing that standard. One definition said missing the true end and scope of our lives, which is God. It's missing that mark of God's standard, falling short of his holiness, dead. Um, and as the scripture tells us, we are, we are the, all, the, all of us dead in sin. So here we have this declaration, and you might say, well, well I don't really feel dead. Um, I'm pretty active, I'm creative, and, and my life's going okay, um, apart from God. But Paul says, no, uh, in fact, you, you're broken and fallen, and you're away from God. Sometimes we'll use this uh, illustration or a way to share our faith, and we've had some trainings before, and maybe we need to do it again, it's been a little while, but using three circles, an illustration of three circles to just share about Christ. And that first circle talks about God's design, that God created this world with, with perfect design, but that all of us have, we've departed from that design. And the second circle says brokenness, and there's brokenness in this world because of sin. And we will strive in so many ways to escape that state of brokenness and suffering and, and even the guilt of our own sin to, to measure up to be enough. And we'll use all sorts of ways to escape that through work, through achievement of our kids even, and whatever it might be. But none of those avenues break us free from that brokenness. None of them give us new life. Um, John Stott, in his commentary, talks about this as far as that state of, of deadness of our heart apart from Christ. He says, they're blind to the glory of Jesus Christ. And death to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They have no love for God. No sensitivity, awareness of the, person, the personal reality. Of his personal reality. No leaping of their spirit toward him and crying, Abba, Father. No longing for fellowship with his people. They are unresponsive to him as a corpse. They're dead to, to the truth of, of God. Another person said it this way, the most vital part of man's response, or personality, the spirit, is dead to the most important factor in life, God. So this is that deadness. Paul also described it in a different way in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. He said, and you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the debt, the record of debt that stood against us with its, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame, to open shame, by triumphing over them in him. So Paul, then we get some bad news, but we begin to see that good news too in that one. And then, as we'll see in these three verses, that he makes clear that there's really no exceptions. So there's no finger pointing. There's no, ah, he's talking about this guy over there, this gal over there. But he's saying all of us. He said, you once were. You once were. You once walked in verse 2. And then in 3, he says, we all once lived. So he's saying, as speaking both of the, he's writing to a group of Gentiles and Jews. And he's saying, all of you, all of us. So in that, there's no finger pointing. We don't come and say, ah, that person, they're dead. No, before Christ, we all were. So it should also put us in a place where not, we're not those who are easily offended by people's sin because we recognize, wait, that was me. None of us are exempt. None of us come holy to Christ. We all were dead. And we were given life. So we're reminded of those, those things as we walk through that. So this state, this bad news, hey, there's death. And then Paul continues and he describes what our, our life apart from Christ look like. How does he describe it? Well, he uses a threefold, threefold description of that dead life. Two things in which we once walked. And really, there's a lot of overlap, I think, in these. And I think you see that, and you'll see that as we walk through. But he describes it in three different ways. If you see in, if you have Ephesians 2 before you. This is in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So you walked in this. You lived in this way, walking with the way of the world, the course of this world. Allowing really the world to, to disciple you, to train you, to show you what truth is and tell us what, what right is and what wrong is. And we live in a culture in a time where uh, our culture currently, the way of the world says, you are your own truth. Uh, the source of truth is whatever you create, that is your truth. And that's saying it's from within and from the heart and whatever your truth is, that, that's it. Uh, until, of course, your truth conflicts with my truth, and then I get to explode on you because your truth is conflicting with my truth, and I can demand that your truth conforms to my truth. And, but you see how this begins to fall down and, and fall apart. It's always moving and changing. That Even the pattern of this world currently is, is such that it builds a foundation that doesn't provide human, human flourishing. That's not a path to human flourishing to say, hey, I get to create my own truth. It just isn't. Nor is it a path to create a strong foundation for even, even a stable society. I think we'll see that. I think we begin to see that. But the world kind of takes us down that path. And even there's times where the world, in the course of this world, seeks to even try to explain things like even like evil in this world. The source of, of evil and explain it. And even though some of these explanations might be sprinkled by truth because of God's grace, they fall so short of a true explanation of even evil and understanding that. And sometimes if you go down those paths too far, they lead to, to alternate even gospels in it, of ways to, to be enough to make up for your sins. And in a lot of ways, uh, maybe you've heard the, kind of the buzz around critical theory and that whole 
um, avenue. And I think that's an avenue of trying to explain brokenness and evil in this world, but it falls so short from God's understanding of these things. We need to go to God's word to understand sin and oppression and abuse and discrimination, which are all real things, but we need to go to his word and start with the gospel. But the world, it takes us down paths, and if we, we use that as our avenue of truth, it doesn't lead to escape from brokenness and human flourishing. It leads us down a path of greater brokenness. That's why we need the gospel. We need God's word. And then another path is following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So following after Satan, often, probably more often than not, unknowingly, just following out the patterns of Satan in this world, the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan, one who seeks to deceive, to lie, destroy. He, we are image bearers of the creator, and he hates that. So, of course, he wants to destroy and cause suffering and bring in these false truths that just seem maybe good on the, on the surface, maybe seem like wise to some people, but they lead to greater suffering. And we become those who are sons of disobedience. And there's a contrast, and even in Ephesians, where it speaks of the sons of disobedience, and then later, the change, when Christ awakens our heart. In Ephesians 5.8, it talks about us as being children of light. But there's so much deception that's found. Even in this path where uh, we end up, even at times, just worshiping self. I was listening to a book, and the, the author quoted um, from the Church of Satan website. Now, I didn't go to check it out, to double check, but I'm pretty sure it's true. I just didn't, I just didn't want to delve into their website. So um, I'm taking in for his word that it says this on their website. It says, Satanism is not devil worship. Surprise to me. No matter how often we, wait, we restate it, this misunderstanding persists. After all, the mythological Satan doesn't worship any gods above himself. Neither do we. Every Satanist is his or her own god. You can't get more satanic than that. So there's this deception where it really is going after self and make, making ourselves the, the throne, of sitting on the throne of our life um, is a path that, away from God and one that, the, that Satan uses just to deceive. Also, he's a roaring lion that seeks to devour. We saw that when we looked at 1 Peter. He takes dark and makes it look like light and, takes, uh, and that makes light look like darkness. One of the ways, I think, even saying just gripping hold of our culture, not just our culture, but around the world, is just this growing culture of death and glorification of just, just depraved things. Uh, and it, it can draw you in. If you look at top podcasts, uh, maybe if, if you use podcasts on your phone or, or Spotify or however you use it, you look at those top maybe 20. Uh, there's a bunch of them that are about murder. In crimes, like like gruesome crimes. And they can kind of draw you in just kind of like, what? how could that happen? But careful. Uh, there's a drawing in, a, a using of the evil one even in that. This week I got an, an email as well. I, I receive emails from a news um, source called Pour Over News. Um, so you drink it in the morning, so you like your pour over coffee, and I think that's why it's pour over news. But it's from a Christian group where they take little nuggets of stories, and then they connect them to, to Bible verses where truth, like how do we think through this? And if you want to sign up for that newsletter, maybe if we remember, we'll put it in the email weekly, and you can click on that. But 
it was talking about, well, let me just read it. The title is Content is King. It said, after a booming 2020, Netflix subscribers growth and stocks fell into a slump, but the king of streaming didn't stay down long, thanks to Squid Game. Squid Game is a fictional Korean series where debt-laden contestants compete in children's games on an island. A, a single winner walks away with 40 million, and the losers are all killed. Um, so the script was rejected. This is interesting. The script was rejected by studios for a decade because it was just too grotesque. Um, but, but now they've taken it on. And it's uh, streaming giant's number one show in 90 countries, including the U.S., and is expected to become their most watched show ever. So a show that for the last 10 years has been rejected repeatedly for being just too dark and too grotesque is now the most popular thing watched in 90 countries and maybe their most popular show ever. And they have some pretty popular shows. But Satan would love for us to love and glory in death. And not in life. And um, in the pour over news, they continue. They say, eternal per perspective. The world has different priorities than God does. And many eternal, um, and many eternally insignificant things, like new TV shows, it can be compelling, though, for a season. Let them not distract us from Christ. And then they quote from Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, whatever, uh, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, think on these things. We just need to be cautious. We need to be aware that Satan does seek to devour and pull us more into death. We're dead in sin apart from him than, than to life in Christ. We need to be careful of those things. And then he continues, and he says in verse 3, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He begins here, and just a note, when he talks about desires, he's not saying desire is bad. God's created with good, holy desires. He's created us to, to love and enjoy the world he's created, to love enjoy family and relationships, to enjoy a good meal, to enjoy the mountains, but they can become that which are lusts of the heart and idols of the heart and take over and be that which we walk in. One of the definitions we've used before of idolatry from Pastor Brad Bigney is, is that I'll remind again, an idol is anything or maybe a, a desire that becomes sinful. Is it anything or anyone that captures, that begins to capture our heart and our minds and our affections more than God. So we don't just follow after, though. We live in these things. We live after these passions of the flesh, desiring things of the body and of the mind. There's a sense of no discipline of that where, where we're just, we follow after it in the heart. There's no restraint. Our moral compass becomes just our physical desires and desires of the mind in the flesh, and we go after them. But this pursuit of these things, it doesn't lead to life. It leads to greater brokenness. It can't bring refuge, um, but instead just brings greater death. We talked about in Ecclesiastes when we walked through that, how King Solomon, he had all that 
the world could offer, but he got to the end of his life and he said, all these things and these pursuits of them, ultimately they're vanity. They end in just brokenness apart from God. There's not life in them. And we talked about, as we walked through Psalms this summer, that our refuges that we seek to find refuge and hope in apart from God, they end up being um, just refuges of bones. They become graveyards for our soul. They don't bring life. It's a bit like this. Well, um, I was reminded this week of, of these animal cookies that I used to like. I know animal cookies. We're talking about death, but just, just hang with me here. Um, well, I think if you eat too many, yeah, well, they'll lead you. But so uh, I used to love the ones that were those white and pink ones with that frosting, the little dots on them, and they have like waxy, and I don't know why they're good, but you just, they're good. And I, even when I was, I remember in Ecuador when I was there in my 20s and spent a couple of years there, that was one thing I wanted someone to bring me was those animal cookies. I don't know why, but, but. We had, one time we had um, a bag of those, and, and they got left out. I'm sure it was my sister that left them out, but, okay, it might have been me, uh, but we had a dog, we had a toy poodle. We have a toy poodle now. Many of you guys know Jetta. Some of you love her. Some of you maybe don't love her, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't care. We love her, but we, growing up, we had another one. Her name was Mandy. We also had one co- named Cookie, but I think this was Mandy, and she got, we left, and I left those out, and she got into that bag, and she ate the whole bag of these waxy, nasty cookies. And what does a little dog do that's body's about this big, that eats a bag of cookies about this big? Well, what do they do? Well, of course, they, she ate them and, and proceeded to throw up this whole bag of cookies onto the floor. And um, a lot of dogs, too, they're like, well, what's this? Nothing wrong with that. It's still cookies, and they'll eat it up again. And I don't think our dog did that, but that is not uncommon. And that's how dogs do. They gorge and they'll gorge themselves on something, throw it up, and then eat it again. And they're like, well, maybe. But we do this in different ways when we go after the flesh. We all probably have personal testimonies where we could say there's times we've gone after things and we, we say, well, maybe this time it's going to satisfy. It'll be okay. And then we end up just, ugh. This is how the cravings of the flesh lead, and they become that which can be a, a guide. They guide us. Sometimes they disciple us. Sometimes they're shepherds. We talked about this summer in Psalm 23, how we have this good shepherd that desires to guide us, but a lot of times we allow our desires of the flesh to guide us, and we're prone to wander. This isn't a time to point fingers because we see later that Paul does call us to throw off. He's talking to believers to throw off old self and to put on new self. So there's this continual battle of the flesh. We need to make sure we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. As we get into December, I'm excited. Uh, we have, Typically, we'll give you an Advent book um, to go to do, like, just to read during the time of Advent. And this year, we're going to purchase one called Fixated, and it's about fixing our eyes on Jesus from Hebrews. And it's, I've read the first few um, lessons, and they're wonderful. <laughs> and we need to be reminded to, to fix our eyes on Jesus because there are so many things that want to disciple our heart from things of this world, Netflix that wants to disciple our heart, from podcasts to political talking heads that want to disciple our heart. But we need to go back to Jesus and the gospel. We need to spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ because as we remember last week that Jesus is the head of the church. We're the body. So in here we gather and we we help each other point each other to Jesus as we gather together. But this world can take us down this path. And, and then Peter, or Peter, Paul tells us 
what's the end destination of this path if we do not change, if we do not turn, if we do not have this new life that he talks about. Well, it continues, and he says, And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So the end destination of this path is judgment. This judgment, walking down this path, leads to a separation from God for all eternity. And as we've mentioned before, uh, our God is a good, just, and holy judge. And he wouldn't be a good God if he wasn't a just judge. Just like when people commit crime against our family, and they, that person comes before a judge, we want them justly punished. And that's what a, a just judge and a good judge would do, and our God is such. And we are those who are by nature, it says. We are, sometimes we talk about the depravity of mankind, that all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. And then there's this wrath that it speaks of of God. Pastor Kogan, which I've mentioned before, he has this great comedy, not comedy, um, commentary, Ephesians for you. It's, there's some funny stuff in it, but no, um, Ephesians for you, but he just mentions this. He says, the wrath of God is not just an impersonal consequence, nor a vindictive rage, but God's consistently pure anger toward evil, which means he will fairly punish sin. Romans 5, 12 through 14 speaks of it this way in regard to this judgment and also our nature apart from Christ. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man of Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in this world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigns reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type one who was to come. He's saying that we are all of us, all of sin, all of us, before Christ, we're in this category, this bad news comes. And kind of the question is how are we going to respond or how have we responded to that? And it can be, again, good news. Pastor Kogan, which I met, who I mentioned, he gives this illustration of that of three patients. There's three three men that are called to a, a doctor and have these tests done on them. They're all three smokers. They've smoked for a long many years, and he does tests on them. He does X-rays, and he brings the, these three patients back to him after all the tests are done. And the doctor says, "I, I have good, I have bad news and good news." He begins with the bad news, and he says, because of your smoking, the state that you're in, if you continue, and we, you're going to die within this year. Death is imminent. But the good news is, there is a surgery that can be done that can bring healing, and you can live. Well, the first patient, after hearing these things, he says, how can you be so negative and discouraging? I came here to be encouraged, to get encouraging words. And all you're doing is judging and criticizing me. You're so unloving. And the guy, the patient leaves and he dies. The second patient, he says, how dare you? How dare you? Who do you think you are telling me what to do? Telling me that I need surgery. How dare you? I exercise, I eat right. I'm the healthiest smoker I know. (laughs) 
what, what, what arrogance. And he, he stomps out of the room and leaves and, and he dies. And then the third person says, thank you. I didn't know I was dying. What good news that I can be saved through the surgery that finds life. So there's a question, how are we going to respond even to this bad news that we're dead in sin? We're going to just scoff at it or turn from it. It's just what arrogance of you to say. But when truth is truth, it doesn't matter if we reject it or not. That doesn't make it not true. This is the word of, of God. But again, it doesn't stop. Even though today we're not going to delve into the good news, we can't stop and terminate on the bad news, right? Let me just read a little bit of what Paul says after this. But God, but God, he says, God steps in, being rich in mercy. So yes, he's just, but rich in mercy. Because of the great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Verse 8, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So we see this goodness. Even when we're like the illustration of my dog going back again and again, following the passions of our flesh. God, God steps in and his mercy, his grace, and his kindness is greater than all of our sin. And there's hope. Even this morning, maybe you come and you recognize that you have yet to, to trust in Jesus Christ, to find that new life in him. This would be a morning to turn from yourself and your sin and all those pursuits that you've had been pursuing and, and place your, your faith and your life in Christ to find hope, to find new life in him. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks truth about who we are, about who you are, about the reality of sin. But, but you don't stop there, but you stepped in and you brought salvation through Christ. And you speak good news. You speak words of healing. You speak words of life. And even this morning, may you um, remind us, those who have We've trusted in you and we have new life in you, but remind us again of the goodness that we have in Christ. Help us to continually put, put off the old self and put on the new and, and be aware when this world is discipling us, our, our own desires are, are discipling and, and being our guide, or, or even Satan is deceiving us and carrying us away in, in, in directions you would not have us go. Make us aware of these things. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and and find life, and find um, great hope that's in Christ. And I pray also this morning for, for any who have yet to trust in Christ, they still find themselves apart from you, that this morning that they would turn and trust in Jesus as the one who died for them, and paid the penalty, and arose again, that they might have new life and true life in him for all eternity. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.